It's interesting that Michael had a number of uh, passages from the Psalms from uh, David's, David's reflections on God uh, because that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight is, uh, is David before he was king and how God got him to that place. One of the things I, I'd like to mention uh, to you, especially uh, those of you as parents, is that we have a presentation here on Wednesday evening by uh, Stephanie Edwards. Stephanie was a, she was a, a maid of honor in a wedding that happened right here uh, earlier this afternoon. And she works with a ministry called Axis in uh, Colorado. But she happens to be up here in, in order to be here for the wedding. And so she agreed to do a presentation. And, and you'll see there's a flyer in your bulletins uh, about Axis and about the kind of ministry that they do. But it, it really has to do with uh, helping parents to be uh, more knowledgeable and effective in the way that they parent given some of the trends and the, and the challenges that we see in our world today and some of the things that your kids are up against. And so uh, Stephanie's a, a young person. It's one of those few ministries I see that hits this niche. And so um, if, if that would be helpful to you as parents, we'd love to have you here on, on Wednesday, May 25, 7 o'clock. It'll be about an hour. And um, it, it, it's a powerful organization. They're doing some great ministry with uh, college kids and also with, with um, parents of kids. So um, Mark and Laura Lee are away this weekend. If you don't know me, I'm Gary Post. I'm the associate pastor here, and I'll be sharing with you tonight. Let's stop and uh, ask, ask the Holy Spirit to empower our time together. Uh, dear Father, we thank you for this time. And uh, we know that uh, you have as you always do, you have purposes that you intend to accomplish tonight in this place and in the hearts of us as your people. And so we pray that you'd pour out your spirit on this place, that you'd make us open and receptive to the teaching of your word, that you'd empower this weak vessel, this messenger uh, tonight, and that, uh, that you'd allow us to see clearly what you have to teach us. And, and Lord, that you'd use your word to, to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ tonight. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christians are not immune from hardship and disappointment and grief and tragedy. And the idea that, that followers of Jesus Christ are automatically insulated from any hardship or tragedy, entitled to an easy, comfortable life, is, is an illusion. In fact, it's a deception. It's, it's unscriptural. But, uh, but still, the question for us as human beings very often is, uh, why God? When something difficult happens to us, why God? Or why me? Or why now? Or, or why this particular trial or, or difficulty? And, and today we're going to look at the Old Testament example of, of David, how he encountered uh, a crushing tragedy. I'm going to call it a ziklag moment. That, that's what the mystery is. Strength for your ziklag moment. Uh, what his response to it was and, and the way that God empowered him to, to overcome that. A little bit about David's backstory. We first encountered David in, uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 16, actually, where the prophet Samuel anoint, anoints him as Israel's next king. He, he goes to see uh, the father Jesse and their eight sons, and, and David is the last of those, and, and probably from a human perspective, the least, um, the least impressive of any of the sons but uh, God tells Samuel that he's the one. I want you to anoint him as the next king of Israel. Saul was the king in Israel. He was displeasing to God at that time. And, and then in uh, 
1 Samuel 17, we see where the, the, the shepherd boy, that is David, uh, confronts the, the, the Philistine giant, Goliath, and kills him with a sling. But King Saul becomes jealous of David's growing fame and, and uh, tries to kill him, as a matter of fact. Saul was uh, maniacal and, and became uh, uh, more and more um, demented and began to, to chase David and, and, and tried to kill him. So David fled. He left Israel, uh, assembled an army of, of 600 uh, ragtag uh, malcontents, uh, Scripture tells us, and, and then uh, went to, to Philistia with them. And he, he, he uh, allied himself with a, with a Philistine king, Achish, and Achish gave David the city of Ziklag, which he used as a home base for his, his, uh, his people, his women and, and children. And then the, the Philistines decided to attack Israel. And much to David's shame, he said, I'll go along with that. I'll, I'll ally myself with you. I'll fight with you against my, my own people. But, uh, but as we'll see, God had other ideas. And, and, and God uh, moved the, the hearts of those Philistine commanders in that in their army and, and said, no, you don't. We're not fighting with this guy. And they sent him packing. So we pick up the story when David and his men returned to Ziklag from a meeting at Aphek, where the Philistines were, were massing for uh, the battle against Israel. We're in 1 Samuel 30 tonight. Uh, and the, uh, you'll see it on the screen as well. 1 Samuel 30. It's, it's page 538 in my Bible, but that won't help you a lick. If, if somebody finds it in the Pew Bible, would you, would you shout out the page number? 1 Samuel 30. I'm sorry? 251, thank you. 251. That makes it easy. I'll let you find it a moment. We're going to read the first seven verses to start with. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They'd overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We'll leave it there for the moment. And notice that David suffered a, a crushing loss. David and his men had marched uh, what we think is about 88 miles over three days. 88 miles to Ziklag. And uh, they were dog-tired. Obviously, they were looking forward to, to rest and a reunion with their families, only to find their families gone and their city burned. Their immediate response was overwhelming grief and, and despair over their loss. In fact, it says in uh, verse 4 that they raised their voices. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. To weep. Uh, they literally exhausted themselves with, with weeping. Uh, I, I think a couple lessons are appropriate here. First of all, that it, it's okay for us as Christians when we suffer a, a crushing loss. It's okay. In fact, it's important that we stop and grieve. 
um, reaps a, a process. It's not an event. It takes time. And God has wired us to grieve because he knows that that's how we heal. So it's important to stop and, and grieve before we do anything else. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that our grief is different than, than what the, the grief of the rest of the world is. He says in Second Thessalonians 4, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, we have hope uh, beyond the grave, hope beyond our grief as Christians that the world does not. Some years ago, uh, I was uh, being treated for cancer at Sparrow Cancer Center and getting my radiation treatments, and a nurse there said to me, Gary, I can always tell the Christians here, they're the ones with hope. Many others are in despair, but the Christians have hope. The other lesson here is that, is that bad things happen to good people, and bad things happen to Christians even. We don't get a pass on disasters in life, do we? Whether they're attacks by evil people or, or life-threatening illnesses or unfaithful spouses or prodigal children or lost jobs or the unexpected loss of someone we love, accidents and disasters. Jesus reminded us, he, he said that, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He didn't say, uh, well, you might run into a little resistance. He, he didn't say, well, you might find it inconvenient. No, he said, you will have trouble in this world. Uh, but he said, take heart. And, and I interpret that to mean, relax, with an exclamation point behind it. He says, relax, I have overcome the world. That doesn't mean we won't have trouble and difficulty in, in the world. There are some reasons we experience hardship and difficulty. First of all, we live in a fallen world that's infected by sin. Um, God did not intend uh, many of the things that happen in our world. There were no earthquakes or famines or floods or cancer or crime in the Garden of Eden. God created a perfect world. All of this stuff came with sin. And when sin infected the, the creation as well as mankind. Uh, secondly, uh, evil people in this world cause us harm sometimes. I'm aware of an elderly couple that just uh, lost $70,000 in, in a Facebook investment scam. There are evil people behind that scam that are victimizing older people. In David's case, it was the Amalekites that took his people hostage and, and then uh, burned his, his city. Sometimes Satan attacks us directly, doesn't he? Uh, only with God's permission. God will only let him go so far, but Satan can harass us and try to damage our, our faith, cause our faith to waver. Sometimes there's self-inflicted pain. Sometimes it's our own foolishness that, and the natural consequences that come from that. If, if you drive drunk, you're likely to get arrested. Your insurance rates go up. You go to jail. I mean, all those things are natural consequences of, of foolishness sometimes. In David's case, his, his careless security, you could argue, his careless security with regard to Ziklag uh, was part of the problem that, caused, uh, that exposed Ziklag to attack. God does protect us from harm. He protects us from more than we'll ever know this side of heaven. But sometimes, in fact, he allows suffering into our lives in order to draw us back to him. And that was in, uh, what happened in David's case, as, as we'll see. He was allied with the enemies of God. And he was far from home, and God wanted him back. And he used hardship and difficulty to draw him back. 
So there are two common responses to disaster. The first one is, is anger and hopelessness and, and blame. It says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Perhaps you've met some folks who are, are bitter in soul over a tragedy that's occurred in their life. In addition to the, his personal grief over the loss of his family, uh, David bore the blame for the losses of his men as well. And as so often happens, when people are overwhelmed with grief, their human reaction was anger. They turned that anger toward God uh, and then toward uh, David as well. Sometimes when people are overwhelmed with grief, we see them alienated from God. Sometimes for a long time, sometimes permanently. There was a woman who told me recently, uh, I was so angry at God when my, when my son died. I understand that, and I see that often when people are, are grieving. I should say, though, that not long after that, that same woman came to faith in Jesus Christ. She just had to get through her anger first. David's response was different. Uh, David knew what to do because he knew God. And so David's response was he, he strengthened himself in God. Now, what does it mean to strengthen yourself in, in God? That sounds kind of vague. I really love the explanation that Roger Ellsworth gives that in the, the book, The Shepherd King. He says this, to strengthen ourselves in God means we remind ourselves of what Scripture says about God. And we bring those truths to bear on the situation. Don't you like that? Every trial causes opposing voices to ring in the ears of the child of God. One is the voice of our circumstances, telling us that our situation is hopeless. The other is the voice of faith, telling us that our God is sufficient for the trial. Some of you know that um, in a previous career with, uh, with the state police, um, that was my first career, 26 years with the state police, and, and part of that career was, was on the uh, SWAT team where we dealt with barricaded gunmen and hostage takers. And we frequently had to forcibly enter buildings in search of gunmen. I can tell you that there is nothing quite so terrifying as a human, on, a, on a human level as, a, as preparing to go into a dark place where someone is waiting for you with a gun. Uh, but I, I, I found that I did what David did. I strengthened myself in God. And, and every time I had to do that, I had a favorite promise that I would rely on from God. And, and I would, uh, it, it's actually uh, Psalm 34, 7, where uh, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those, sets a guard, in other words, around those who fear him and delivers them. And, and I would pray, Lord, remember those angels that you promised? Well, I could use them right now. And I'd raise my shield and kick the door and go in with the confidence that God would protect me and he always did and on every occasion I suspect that David did the same he strengthened himself in God he reminded God of his promises he reminded himself of who God was and then he drew his sword and he, and he took care of business we see that in in some of the uh, passages from David that uh, that Michael quoted earlier uh, on the screen and then also in in a couple Psalms here when, uh, that David wrote uh, shortly after God had delivered him. In Psalm 56, for example, he said, When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? And then Psalm 18, this was written right after Ziklag and right after his 
uh, deliverance from uh, Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now get this. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. In other words, David says, I pray, God releases his power and I'm protected, I'm delivered. David's focus was not on his own capabilities nor those of his men, but on God's ability to rescue him. Well, David looked for God's direction and empowerment in those times of, of uh, difficulty and, and uh, hardship as well. Let's take a look at that in the next few verses in 1 Samuel 30. We're going to read uh, verses 7 through 20. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, so sh for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. He's down to 400 now. 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook, Bez uh, the brook Bezor. Remember, they had hiked. They had just hiked 88 miles over three days. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David, and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink, and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he'd eaten, his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. What a coincidence, right? We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites. Uh, Cherethites, is, uh, some scholars say that, that would be the Philistines. And uh, against that which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this band. And when he'd taken him down, behold, they were spread out, that is the Amalekite attackers, were spread abroad over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. So we see in that passage that once again, uh, once David had strengthened himself by reconnecting with God, he asked God what to do. Sometimes this is, a, this is a step we miss. We ask God for comfort and healing and peace in times of tragedy, but sometimes we, we don't get past uh, why me. We forget to ask for direction. Instead of why me, sometimes we need to ask uh, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? 
Or what do you want me to do next here? Because God will give us direction. Philippians 2.13 says he, he makes us both to will and to do his purposes. So he can put thoughts in our, our heads as to what we need to do next. He gives us wisdom. He will download wisdom to us as to what the next step should be. That's what David was asking for here. He called for Abiathar the priest and his ephod to give him direction. There are three ways that, that Israel heard from God. One was the, the prophets. Uh, one was um, through the priest and the, and the ephod. And the third was, was through dreams. Those three ways. And uh, there were no dreams. There was no prophet. So David went to the priest. And, and the ephod contained a, a Urim and a Thummim. We, there's a lot we don't know about that. But it was some sort of device that that uh, God agreed to speak through and give direction through to his people. And, and so the priest used that, and uh, David asked uh, through the priest, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? God's response was pursue, so, uh, because you will surely overtake, and you will surely rescue. So the, the, the principle here is that when God directs, he also empowers, he also enables us to accomplish what his purpose is. Some examples from this experience with David. Notice that, that God gave them the physical endurance for the pursuit, even though David and his men were exhausted from an 88-mile trek over the, the previous three days, and, and also the grief over the loss of their families. Notice, too, that, that God provided this Egyptian tour guide who was left for dead in the desert by his master. If you think about that, uh, what had to happen? God had to cause this young man to become sick, when he was traveling with the Amalekites three days before. And then he had to cause his master to say, well, I might as well leave him for dead. And, and then he had to cause David's men to find this guy in the open desert. So what are the odds, right? Unless God's in it. Uh, God orchestrated that. Once they revived him, David made him an offer he couldn't refuse. And he, uh, he happily decided to, to take them to the Amalekite camp. And then God provided David's attack with the element of surprise. One of the most important tactical considerations in, uh, in confronting an enemy is the element of surprise. And so uh, God provided that. He, he made uh, the Amalekite uh, army un, unready for, for battle. They were separated from their weapons. They were uh, drinking and dancing and celebrating according to scripture. Many of them were probably drunk. They weren't wearing their armor probably. They weren't in battle formations. They were separated from each other and probably separated from their, their weapons as well. So uh, they were an easy target for David and his men as they swooped down on them. And then God preserved the lives of every one of the women and children and all the, all the property. Very unusual. None of these things are coincidences. My point is that God enables and empowers us when he gives us direction. He enables and empowers us to accomplish uh, what he's called us to do. And he orchestrates events and circumstances in, uh, for our, in our favor, just as he did with David here. And then uh, David's grace that he received becomes a grace that he extended to other people. And we read about it in the last part of uh, 1 Samuel 30. It says in verse 21 that David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the brook Bezor. And, and they went out to meet David and and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David, I told you they were malcontents, and, and uh, there were some real characters that David had in his army. He, he said, uh, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that, 
that we've recovered except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. David said, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop action. That's not what we're doing here. David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord, the Lord has given us. He's preserved us. He's given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? In other words, are you crazy? What are you thinking? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall all share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Eror, in Sithmoth, in Eshtimoah, in Rachel, in the city of the Jeremelites, in the city of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Boration, in Athak, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. You see, David uh, extended grace uh, to those uh, who were with him and then also to those who would make him king. David recognized that he was the undeserving beneficiary of God's grace and, and power. And uh, God enabled him to act like a gracious king under those circumstances. God enabled David to extend the same undeserved favor to the men at Bezor, the ones who had stayed with the baggage, who were tired to go on. And, and then also through those gifts uh, to the, the elders in Israel, whom he'd, he'd soon lead as king. And, and the principle that we find there is that when we recognize the, the depths of God's love and his grace for us, we want to extend it to other people, don't we? The other night uh, in the men's study, we uh, did the last session of a Tony Evans study. On, uh, it's called Horizontal Jesus. And the idea is that um, it, as, our, as our, li uh, our life with God, our vertical life with God influences our horizontal life uh, with each other. And we're talking in particular about the, the way that we, we serve as men in, in church. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, we've been so blessed here. My family and, and I have been so blessed uh, financially and, and in other ways. We'd like to help somebody who's in need. Uh, do you know of, of a single mom, for example, who might be in need that we could, we could help? I said, well, yes, I do. And uh, so he, he passed me a gift and I passed it on to her. You see, he had been blessed and he felt like uh, he needed to bless someone else. It, it was grace received and, and grace extended. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, he said, Christ's love compels us. We can't do anything else because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for, for him who died for them and, and was raised again. When we've experienced the love of Christ, we're compelled by it to try to bless others with it as well. Well, there are some lessons we can learn from pain. How God uses suffering in our lives to accomplish his purposes. God used David's uh, Ziklag experience to reconnect with him and, and to position him to be king. Uh, God had already made his purpose clear to David when he was anointed in, in 1 Samuel 16. When Samuel anointed him to be the next king of Israel, um, he knew what his purpose was, but, but David had wandered off in the weeds. He'd wandered away from God into enemy territory. He was allied with evil people, and he was even prepared to fight against his own people with the Philistines. Uh, God said, I'm not having any of that. We're, we're, we're not doing that. And so God turned the Philistine 
uh, commanders against him in chapter 29. They sent him packing. God used the Amalekites to burn Ziklag so David would no longer have a place to live in, in, Philistine, in Philistine. And then God allowed the abduction of the women and children to bring David to that point of despair so that he'd cry out to God. And uh, David would pray and God would release his power into that situation. So God demonstrated his, uh, his faithfulness and power by, by empowering David to rescue the hostages, recover the stolen property in order to restore David's trust in him. You see, David was running his own program and God reeled him in as he does with us when we veer off into the, into the weeds. And then finally, uh, God allowed King Saul to be killed in battle. You see in chapter 30 that King Saul was killed in battle with the the Philistines shortly after David arrived back in Ziklag clearing the way for David to return to Israel and, and claim the, the throne. You see ultimately God's purpose for David was uh, this is zooming out beyond just the kingship. God's purpose for David was to maintain that bloodline from which prophecy said would come the Christ, would come Jesus Christ. David had to be king so Jesus could be born in uh, in Israel and, and become the savior of the world. David had to be king so Jesus could save the world. And that was God's long-range purpose. And he orchestrated the, the events in David's life to accomplish what he was doing. Well, how does God use the pain and hardship in our lives to accomplish his larger purpose? Well, one way is, is that sometimes he uses the suffering in our lives to equip us to help in the same situation. Paul observed that in 2 Corinthians 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort uh, those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I mentioned that uh, I had a cancer diagnosis in 2011. I asked God what he was trying to teach me as part of that experience. And the message uh, that, I, that I received over over the uh, first few weeks there was that it, it's not about you, mister. This is part of your equipping for ministry. And when I went, when I went to the uh, Sparrow Cancer Center for radiation treatments, when I walked in there the first time, I saw a kind of a, a tough-looking hombre up against the, uh, slumped up against the, the wall on the other side of the, the room with a Harley-Davidson hat pulled down low over his eyes, and man, he looked like death warmed over. And I found uh, as I as I learned more about him, I found that, that uh, he was getting both chemo and radiation at the same time and, and um, had cancer somewhere in here and it was, was just in a, in a bad way. But I, I just sensed that uh, God just, just uh, gave me the sense that, uh, Gary, he's one of the reasons why you're here. And, and so I, I struck up a conversation with him. I had had motorcycles for 30 years and yeah, he, had a, he was obviously a Harley guy, so we started talking about bikes and, and uh, became friends. Some weeks into our friendship, I got an email from him late at night, and he said he, he noticed I seemed to have a peace in the face of cancer unlike anything he'd ever seen. Whatever it was, he said, I, I want that, and I, I want you to tell me how to get that. So I... I told him how he could have that same peace and I, I prayed with him for his healing. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ and, and he recovered from cancer to ride his Harley again, too. That's one example 
but another example is a is an, a couple who are friends of mine who were were through a went through a a, a difficult period of of uh, infidelity and conflict in their marriage. God brought them back together, strengthened their relationship. They recently encountered the opportunity to encourage another young couple who are going through the same struggle that they are, or that they did, and, uh, and encouraged them not to, not to give up, but to persevere, and that God would restore their marriage over time as they prayed. So God used the pain and the heartache of that experience to minister to someone else who was suffering the same way. And another friend I have who's, who's suffering from lifelong depression finds her ministry in a nursing home where she encourages those who are discouraged. She knows about that. She lives there. Someone else who's lived through alcohol and drug addiction counsels another young man trying to break free from the bondage of heroin addiction. There are couples here who've suffered through the pain of a divorce. They help others navigate through the same grief and, and guilt and pain. In every case, God has used their suffering to equip them for ministry. That's how he works in our lives. It's a pattern. You may find that he's done that in your life as well. And then God also uses our suffering to bring out the character of Christ in us and, and to grow us in our faith. God's objective for us is to become like Jesus Christ in our character and in our actions. Paul reminds us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, God knows exactly what we need in order to reveal Christ's character in us, even if we don't. That's why uh, Tim Keller, in uh, his book, Walking Through Pain and Suffering, says, God gives us what we would have asked for, if we knew everything that he knows. Henry Blackaby, the author of uh, Experiencing God and, a, and a, a longtime pastor, notes that God uses both good and, and bad experiences to shape our character. He says God can bring character development and personal growth out of any situation. Whether he does so as conditional on people's willingness to submit to his will throughout the process, God is sovereign over every life, but those who yield their will to him will be shaped according to his purposes. When the Lord is developing something, someone, all of life is a school. No experience, good or bad, is wasted. God doesn't squander people's time. He doesn't ignore their pain. He brings not only healing, but growth out of the worst experiences. Every relationship can be God's instrument to fashion a person's character at times through our most painful experiences, God does his greatest work. The Apostle Paul knew what it was for God to bring us to the end of ourselves, to grow our faith. He says this was his, one of his ziklag moments. He says, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But that was, get this now, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. It was a ziklag moment, you see, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. The real question, folks, is, is whether we can trust God when life doesn't make any sense, when it's so painful 
we can't see how this could possibly result in our good. Can we trust him when the healing doesn't come? Can we trust him when the marriage isn't restored, when the prodigal son doesn't return? Can we trust him when our prayers seem to go unanswered? In those moments of anguish, God is saying, can you trust me no matter what? Can you trust me no matter what? How we respond to suffering matters to God. Sarah Young in Jesus Calling says, all suffering has meaning in your kingdom. Pain and problems are opportunities to demonstrate my trust in you. Then thirdly, God rescues us in order for us to rescue others held hostage in hopelessness and despair. We need to recognize that times of hardship in the lives of people around us are very often opportunities that God has provided for us to rescue them with God's promises of comfort and peace through Jesus Christ. Tim Keller points out, I learned that just as many people find God through affliction and suffering, they find that adversity moves them toward God rather than away. Troubled times awaken them out of their haunted sleep of spiritual self-sufficiency into a serious search for the divine. It's an exaggeration to say that no one finds God unless suffering comes into their lives, but it's not a big one. When pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we're not in control of our lives, but that we never were. Many times, folks, God calls us to engage in many rescues, what I call many rescues. You, you can take away the term tonight, your Ziklag moment, and many rescues. There, there are two new terms that are part of our language here at New Hope. When, many rescues are when we listen to a friend's pain. We speak a word of encouragement to someone who's in despair. We pray with somebody who's in crisis. You tell them your story about how God got you through the same thing that they're going through right now. Or you offer a promise from God's word to, to lift someone up and point them to the source of, of peace and hope. I, I've, I've put four of my favorites in, in your notes tonight. There are many more verses in the, uh, in the, in the uh, verses that I've included in your, in your bulletin tonight. But here are four of my favorites. Uh, that I pray with people, that I offer people when I, when I write a card to them, or that I just share with them uh, when they're going through difficult times. One is Philippians 4, 6, and 7, God's peace. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You, God says, you give me your worries, I will give you back my peace. And, and then... Uh, God is the, as the God of hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The supernatural hope and joy and peace come from God. We can ask him for, for those, for ourselves and for people we're ministering to. And, and then one of my favorites out of Isaiah 41, 10. God's power to deliver us. Do not fear, for I am with you. I love this out of the NASB. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. We used to call that rubbernecking. God says, stop rubbernecking. Stop looking around. He says, I've got this. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then finally, for those who are crushed in spirit, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
Very often, friends, your, your mini rescue will be just a brief encounter where you'll have only the opportunity to plant a seed that the Holy Spirit can use over time with other seeds that are planted to change the whole trajectory of a person's life for eternity. Uh, a friend told me recently about a conversation he had, on, he had on the tailgate of a pickup truck at a construction site with a young co-worker about the direction of his life. He planted a seed with that young man. Uh, your mini rescue could use the seed that I provided in your program tonight. Josh McDowell's, uh, his personal story, his brief story of how he came to faith from atheism. He was an arrogant intellectual, an atheist, and, uh, and God reached out for him. And over time, after an investigation of the claims of Christ, uh, he came to faith in Christ. Uh, you can use this and, and give this to somebody. Sometimes you don't need to break somebody out of prison of hopelessness and fear. You just need to slip them the key, you know? You may never see the end results of the seeds that you've planted until heaven when someone may step up to you and say, excuse me, you may not remember me, but... You're the reason I'm here. What you said to me made all the difference. Thank you so much. And then other times we get to reap when someone else has sowed the seeds. Some of you knew Bill Sharp. Bill was the father of, uh, of Brad Sharp, Brad and Lou part of our New Hope family here, and I'm telling the story with permission. In late March, Bill, who was 88, was in hospice care in Charlotte, and Brad asked me to go with him to see his dad on March 24. Brad and Lou had been praying for his dad and, and planting those seeds with him over a period of, of uh, years. He was a good man. He was highly regarded in the community. He was a church attender. He was respected for his kindness and generosity and all he had accomplished as a leader in the community and yet Brad and Lou were convinced that he did not know Jesus Christ as his Savior. So Brad and Lou and I had been praying about this opportunity and, and as Brad and I exited the ramp in Charlotte, uh, I, I remember that somehow a verse popped into my mind. It was Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know why. That I didn't know why at the time that verse had popped into my head, no, but it did. When we got there, I knew that I had a point of connection with Bill because he'd been an East Lansing police officer for 12 years early in his life. And so we talked about some of the people we knew that we had in common. We laughed at some of the stories uh, that he shared. And then when the conversation turned to spiritual things, I asked Bill how he was doing under the circumstances. He said he, he lacked a sense of peace. Hmm. Then I knew, I knew why God had reminded me of Romans 5.1. And I said, you know, the Bible says that we can only find peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I asked him if I could share with him how he could find that peace. He said, I'll never forget this. He said, I was so hoping you would. And I shared with him out of the book of Romans how we've all sin, how our sin has separated us from God. But that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to, to die to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can receive forgiveness and, and live forever with God in heaven. Bill said, 
with tears in his eyes. As Brad and I were huddled around him, Bill said with tears in his eyes, no one has ever explained that to me before. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think he just wasn't ready to hear it before. And, and the Holy Spirit had, had prepared his heart. He was so ready. I explained that it's not enough to know about God's free gift for us, but that we have to each receive that gift for ourselves in faith through prayer. I asked Bill if he'd like to pray to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior, and he said, oh, yes. Brad told me later that it was the first time he'd ever seen his dad pray. So with the tears running down our cheeks, we listened to Bill humbly ask for God's forgiveness and invite Jesus Christ to be his Savior. It was a precious time as he passed from death to life before our very eyes. He was so ready to receive Christ. I recognized that the Holy Spirit had gone ahead of us as he always does. Afterwards, I explained to him that the Bible said he was now a new person in Christ. He was forgiven for everything that he had ever done, past, present, and, and future, and, and also that the angels were rejoicing. I said, the angels are having a party, Bill, right now in your honor. And then I had to reassure him that it would be continuing when he got there. <laughs> he said he felt a peace he hadn't felt before, and I told him, that's the peace of God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. In the few days he had left, Bill and his son Brad had some precious times together, now as brothers in Christ. As Brad read some scripture to him and, and shared from Charles Stanley's book, God is in control, an unshakable peace in the midst of life's storms. Bill passed away on April 6th. I can't wait to see him in heaven. I'm reminded, friends, of Proverbs 24, 11 and 12, which calls us to be rescuers. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? Friends, in crisis, David strengthened himself in God and then he went to the rescue. God calls us to do the same. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Father, we thank you most of all for your great gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, I thank you for these folks and their faithfulness and their desire to serve you. I, I pray that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit to see clearly uh, the, the people that you send our way that need to be rescued and then make us wise as to how we engage with them, what we say. Uh, enable us and empower us to tell our story, what you've done in our lives. Uh, and, and we pray that, that you would use those seeds we plant in the lives of those around us to change the whole trajectory of their lives for eternity. We know that that's a work of God. That's not a do-it-yourself project. And so we ask that, that you accomplish that in their lives, we ask that we have a part in that ministry and that we'd be allowed to collaborate with you in that and that you would in, empower us and enable us to that end. Help us to strengthen ourselves in God. Help us to rescue those that you put in our path. We ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.